that would mean being the best that we can at our job and have a great attitude, great work ethic, show up on time, work hard, have a joy about us that the Bible says we're to have, and have this peace about us. In the hustle of life's demands, finding a sacred intersection where faith, work, and daily living harmonize can be a profound challenge. Today on Seek, Go, Create, we're joined by Kevin Brownlee, a man who not only has discovered this crossroads, but also teaches others to thrive in it. As a certified RV inspector and technician, interim pastor, and the voice behind the Blue Jeans Christian podcast, Kevin brings a wealth of experience from the oil fields of Wyoming to the boardrooms of Montana Steel Industries. With over 150 podcast episodes under his belt, Kevin's insights resonate with hardworking Christians seeking to glorify God in every aspect of their lives. And I've got to say, Kevin is a buddy of mine. We've known each other for years. And when y'all heard certified RV inspector, you probably, I probably know I know him intimately. Kevin, welcome to Seek Go Create. Oh, thank you, Tim. What a pleasure to be on your show. You're just an awesome guy. And I love listening to your show. And then when I see you in person, it's like, I've known you. I've seen you. I've been with you for a while. We have. We've kind of wintered together for how many years now down here in Southern Utah? Three? Yeah, this four? is my sixth, but I think it's probably four that you and I have. So. Four, yeah. We skipped a year. And I actually think our first winter, you were here and I was here, but it was so cold I never left my RV or something like that. I don't know. You didn't have anything break at that point. <laughs> and no, Kevin's the guy that you call. He's uh, he's Ghostbusters, man. Who are you going to call? In fact, even yesterday we were working on a project, but we do not want to get into that right now. Okay. Kevin, let's do a pretend here and we bump into each other somewhere or somebody runs into you out and you do mountain biking and you're interim pastor, all these kind of things. But if someone asks you what you do, what do you typically tell people? I start with the short version and see how it goes. I say, I love to help people. I help people. And I do that on five different fronts if I can use the term fronts, and they're intentional. I have matured enough to know that to be Christ's representative here on earth, you have to be intentional because it's not easy. So you have to be intentional. So probably the first one is we've already chatted. I love to help people fix their RV because RVs can be frustrating, but they're supposed to be fun. So I keep them fun, not frustrating. I teach camper college, I repair them, I do inspections to make sure that the RV they get is ready to go with as little problems as possible until they drive down some of our roads and then some things happen. Because, you know, RVs go through the equivalent of a seven magnitude earthquake going down the road. So things happen, right? But if we can keep up on maintenance and just have knowledge, which I try and teach them the knowledge, then the RVs can be fun, not frustrating. The second is... I like to help pastors, especially on pastors of smaller churches, to get some time off because a lot of times these church pastors, they just don't have anybody that they trust to take over the pulpit for a couple of weeks while they get some time off. So I provide that too. I help pastor. Um, the third thing is I help Christians in the workforce improve their job by working the way the Bible teaches. 
and the Bible does teach us how to work, and that work is a blessing from God. And a lot of times when I say that, people are like, oh, work is a blessing from God. And yes, and I do teach them that. So that, that's really fun. I love to do that. I put on a seminar. I travel around the country and put on a seminar at churches about how to improve your job and work biblically. So I help them improve their job and actually make their job their ministry for Christ, which is really cool. The fourth thing that I like to do is to help Christians glorify God at work and at home. My book, Your Glorious Endeavor, but also through the Blue Jeans Christian website and podcast, teaching people how to work biblically and live biblically, because that, as I have found over the years, is the best way to live, is to live biblically. And the fifth is to help business owners prepare their business to sell. So I do that through Agora Consulting, and because they are who I hired to help me sell my steel fabrication business. And the process, faith-based process was so incredible and so fulfilling and making sure that my business was handed down or handed over to somebody who was going to keep going the same things that I developed and had the same values that I had. So getting that all ironed out and what those are and down on paper and then look for somebody to purchase it that matches up with those ensures that the business will keep going what I worked so hard for 31 years to create and develop. So those are the five things I love to help. What's interesting about the five things there, Kevin, is I'm sitting here thinking as you're saying it. And I knew, I think I knew all of that, but to hear you say it, it got my mind swirling around. The thing that was swirling was what ties them all together? Because if, if I were to come out, like if you and I were to bump into each other, and I did ask you that question, what do you do? I'm pretty confident you, in fact, I know you didn't when I first met you, you didn't say all of those things. There's got to be something that you have that kind of urges or nudges you to go one direction or the other. Can you talk more about that? What is it that not being introduced on a podcast, but if you really bump into someone, what's usually the first thing that you bring up? Probably the RV repair technician. And then I say, I own BJC RV. And usually they'll say, what does BJC stand for? And sometimes they may know my last name, which starts with a B, but that's not it. It's Blue Jeans Christian. And I try and run my business the way the Bible says. And hopefully that comes out and how I work on RVs and how I interact with the people. For anybody who's watching the video, they see you've got a shirt that said BJC RV. They see your truck, which, you know, we had it parked outside our RV for about half the day yesterday. It's got that RV repair. And I even asked you, I think, is that just lead gen for you? You know, is that kind of a lot of people come into your funnel and into your realm, it seems like through the RV repair, you really get to touch a lot of lives. Just with oh, that. It's amazing. Yeah. Because most people will ask what it stands for. And when I say blue jeans, Christian, I try and run my business biblically. You'll generally get two responses. One of them is, oh, that's kind of cool. Oh, while you're here, could you take a look at my water heater? It seems to be acting up or it opens up a wonderful conversation. And those are what makes life fun. Those conversations. And it's really cool because, you see, I've been a Christian for almost 58 years. I was saved at a young age, grew up in a Christian home, and I've been through some of the roughest, toughest jobs that, that this country has to offer. An oil-filled welder, construction superintendent, 
uh, and owned a, st a structural steel fabrication company. Some of the roughest guys in the world I've had to work with. But God has got me through all of those and has poured a lot into me. So at some point several years ago, I decided it's time to give God a return on his investment in me. Give him an ROI. All he has poured into me, it's time to take those things and then help people with it. Maybe help people steer them towards Christ or toward the Christian lifestyle. Because that's the only way to live. I am convinced of it. The one thing, I think I read that, that you had been a Christian for as long as I was living. At what age were you at when you accepted Christ? What, I yeah, mean, was, like at birth. birth. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was four and I knew as a little kid because I went to a Baptist church and heard the hellfire preaching. I didn't want to go to hell. It's so. I knew at that little age that I needed to ask Jesus into my heart to not have to not go to hell. So I knew the basics. So Jesus said, oh, the kingdom of God is like these little children. You just got to take all the clutter out and look at the basics of it. I did it for, and even my mom kept saying, he keeps asking how to be saved. And the pastor said, that's because he knows and he wants to. Don't hold him back. Now, over the years, I have doubted, was I too young? But uh, come to the realization that as much grace as it takes to save some people out of a world of sin, horrible things, that same amount of grace has kept me safe, kept me as a Christian since age four. Hey there, this is your host, Tim Winders, and I want to pause this interview for a minute and ask you a question. Are you feeling stuck? Maybe it's in your business. Maybe it's in your leadership style, or maybe you just can't put your finger on it. Trust me, I've been there. I'm a faith-driven executive coach, and I can help you get unstuck. How? Well, I bring to the table not just over 30 years of experience, but also a unique blend of skills like strategic thinking, relationship building, and a dash of marketing wizardry. And if you are here, you know I'm not afraid to ask the tough questions. Don't believe I can help you grow? Just ask my clients that tripled their annual gross revenues in two years after coaching with me, or the clients that increased revenue 67% in just a year. So if you're ready to take the next step in your leadership journey, book a free discovery call with me at timwinders.com forward slash coaching. That's timwinders.com forward slash coaching. T-I-M-W-I-N. D-E-R-S dot com forward slash coaching. Take a look at that page, scroll to the bottom, and you could book a time right on my calendar. Let's unlock your potential together. I look forward to speaking with you. Now, let's get back to Seek Go Create. You know here See, that one of the things we discuss is what we call redefining success. And so mm -hmm. we talk about journeys up and down along the way. And Someone who's gone through a 58-year journey of, we'll call it your spiritual journey, there probably have, and especially if you work in situations like you did, you know, oil fields, construction managers, things like that, that would not necessarily be a soft environment necessarily. Mm -hmm. So what are some times, just give a time or two here, and then what we'll do later is we'll go into the book and some of the things you're doing with your 
your seminars and all to educate people on how to integrate work with their faith. But what are some times, and you know, we don't shy away from the tough conversations here. Is there some times along the way where you, I don't want to say questioned, or I don't even like the word backslid or anything like that. I don't think that's what we're talking about here, but anything that along the way that would have been uh, challenges or force you to rethink things or redefine something along the way. I'm sure that we all do that because Christians are not perfect. We still sin. Some people think we are. Some people think that we're supposed to be. And the boy, they sure point out when we mess up, but we are forgiven. And that's what's nice is Jesus forgave us our past sins, the ones we're going to do tomorrow and the ones we're going to do two years from now. But what we do is we have developed a new hatred for those kinds of things, and we don't want to do them anymore. And that's why it's nice to repent, even though Jesus took care of all the sins at one time on the cross. It's still nice to say, sorry, God, I messed up last night. I'm so sorry. Can you please help me not to do that again? Things like that. Now, I'll tell you a couple things that have happened over the years that has really solidified God's purpose for me and solidified him as being real. I got so many things that I could say from not having enough money to pay payroll and praying it and payroll comes out at 11 a.m. on Friday and Thursday's mail didn't bring a check. But then Friday at about 10 a.m., somebody walks in and said, sorry, I forgot to put this in the mail. Answers like that. But a couple things. I have been to the top of a drilling rig with a 40-mile-an-hour wind and 40 below zero, trying to heat up a shiv with a rosebud tip in one hand and a 611 rod in the other hand to be able to get a well done. Think of that, 40 below zero, 40-mile-an-hour wind. That's one extreme that takes a tough guy, right? I've also been 110 degrees laying in a pit of oil trying to weld something with the sweat pouring in your eyes, which makes it hard to see because it stings, that takes a tough guy. But yet when I have been out on a job site or in the shop, and I can give you, let me try and give you one specific example because I love specifics. There are, I like to pay attention to the guys out in the shop and how they're doing. And this one guy, probably one of the roughest guys you would ever meet. I mean, just the look and the lifestyle and the way he talks. You know what I mean? One of the roughest guys. And one time I walked out there and I said, you just don't seem right today, Joe. <laughs> you just don't seem right today, Joe. What's going on? He said, oh, man, all this complaining and for whatever. And as tough as I am, and as tough as it was on the top of that drilling rig, and as tough as it was laying in that oil, it takes an even tougher guy to say, man, is there something I can pray for you about? Picture those kind of guys in your mind to say, is there something I can pray for you about? But I can tell you that every single time I've mustered up the guts to say that, it has always resulted in about the same. Oh man, would you really? Like Joe, for instance, he said, my wife left me last night. And I hit her on the way out. Would you pray for me? Because I'm expecting the sheriff to come by any minute now. And I have. 
And I have put my hand on his shoulder. I've given him a hug. And I prayed quietly in his ear right then and there. And I can tell you this, because I know Joe, I talk to him about every month. Joe's a wonderful Christian guy with a fantastic marriage and three kids. Because I had the guts to say, can I pray for you about that? And no, he wasn't a Christian at the time. He was about as far away as you could get. Those are the kinds of things that make blue jeans Christian real. Being a Christian in blue jeans on the job. So what's fascinating to me, Kevin, is you bring up something that's a world that I am not familiar with, which is that world in, I know you guys are from Montana, the oil fields and just what would be a tough part of the country in anything. Truthfully, most of my life, I worked in offices. But when you talk about work, you're talking about work in all of those areas, right? Now you've got specific experience in those tough parts of the world. But when we start talking about work, you're talking about all of it, correct? Absolutely. First Corinthians 10 31 says, and all you do bring glory to God in all you do. That doesn't mean just Sundays. That means Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday night. Do all that you do for the glory of God. So be his representative there. Can you imagine, would that guy, would Joe have become a Christian? Maybe God would have had somebody else step in, but he gave me the privilege of leading him to the Lord. All because I noticed that he was down. He wasn't himself at that time. That's that care and love for others that we get because the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. And what's the most important commandment? To love God and to love others, Jesus said. That's how you do it. So at some point along the way, Kevin, in, in all of your work environment and all that you were doing, you decided to start sharing some things via podcasts, via books, via things like that. Tell me a little bit more about that. When did you decide to do that? What was that process like for you? Probably when I was reading about Paul was getting mad at one of the, one, one of the churches and said, you guys have been, you guys have been at church now for like 10 years. And by now you should be on meat and instead you're still on milk toast. and. At the time Paul wrote that, he, was, he had been a Christian for a little over 30 years. Well, at the time I read that, I had been a Christian for over 40 years. So I thought, wow, if Paul had a 30-year being a Christian, I'm not comparing myself to Paul, but I'm thinking, at some point, I need to be doing instead of receiving. We have to be before we do, and I'm sure I've got enough be in me going to church all these years, reading my Bible faithfully pretty much every morning, I've got enough in me that I should start doing something, giving God a return on his investment in me. When I thought that, it really thought, how can I do this now? How can I be intentional about taking my Christian life to the next level, about being Jesus's representative here? Because here's something else I thought of. The moment we Christians die, we have a one-on-one -on -one with Jesus. You can call it the Bema Seat or whatever you want to call it. But we're going to have a one-on-one -on -one with Jesus, sitting on a park bench by, the, by a stream or by a calm waters, like Psalm 23 kind of a thing, right? Just me and Jesus are going to have a conversation. And he's going to say to me, or he's going to ask me, what did you do with that company I gave you? What did you do 
with that guy in the shop who was down that day and you knew it. And I put something in your heart to say, go over and talk to him. What did you do with these things that I gave you or these opportunities I gave you? We may think we're getting to heaven with a resume full of stuff on it. And Jesus pulls out his resume and says, mine's a lot shorter than yours. So maybe the things that we're doing aren't things that aren't on Jesus's resume of ours, on his tally. So I want to make sure that what I do are on his tally. So when I have that one-on-one -on -one with him, I get a hug from Jesus. That's, and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. I want that. I want him to say that. And now is my opportunity to do that, to get that, to work on that. <laughs> One thing that I love to think about is the people, you know, in our culture and society, Kevin, we see, I don't know, we'll call them flashy, the people that are up on stages and things like that. The mega pastor, preachers, teachers, things like that. I actually believe, and you can respond to this, I actually believe that there's going to be some people that we have no idea who they are. We don't know their names. They went about things, their work, their day-to-day, -day, quietly going about their business, ministering. I think a lot of times about Glory's grandmother because she was, she served, we found out after she passed away, in fact, how many people she served along the way without letting anybody know about it. But we're, we're sitting here, yeah. we're on a podcast, so people are going to hear it and all that. So we're out there a little bit, but I'm, I think about, and I think it should encourage people, all of the people that go about doing what you just mentioned quietly and behind the scenes. I think that's one of the places that work intersects with people's faith, correct? Yeah, exactly. And the things that matter to the world don't really matter that much to us Christians. Yes, we have to make money. Yes, we have to do the best we can to make as much as we can because the world runs wrong money. And money is talked about a lot in the Bible and a lot of it positively. We have to make money to be able to pay our bills and to support the ministries and things that God cares about. But it's not the most important thing. And I think that's what I mean by the things that are on my resume are not the things that are on Jesus' resume. So the things about, oh, yes, I was the president of this corporation and I was the, and I did $10.6 million last year. That ain't going to be on his resume. But the story about Joe is, that's going to be on his. So yet at some point, we need to realize the things that are most important in life, and it almost always has to do with others. How are we interacting with others? And do they see Jesus in me? Because maybe I am the only Jesus they see. The only Bible they see is how I act. I can hear the guys out in the shop, especially at break time, telling their stories of the night before and telling all their and the jokes and the four-letter words. And then when I walk out in the shop, the language changes. <laughs> and it just reminded me that they know I'm a Christian. And they also know that they can come to me when they have issues, if they have questions or if they have some troubles. And I can't tell you how many times that guys have come into my office and said, Kevin, you got a minute? And God actually taught me a lesson the hard way, but God smacked me to the ground one day by saying, Kevin, it's not about the job. It's about the people that I bring into your office. 
So in the structural steel fabrication business, we have bid days. It's a day when you submit your bid and the bid has to be in at a certain time. Usually it's two o'clock on a Thursday. That's when bids are due. So you're kind of frantically to get done with this bid, to get it turned in so that hopefully you get the job. Okay. So most all of the work we do comes from being low bidder or at least the best bid. So there was a day and it was Thursday and it was about one o'clock and I was frantically trying to get a bid done. I was typing and my computer is in an L-shaped, my office has an L-shaped desk and my computer is in the corner and the behind me is the door. So I was trying to type up a bid, type up a bid and phones ringing and all of this. And I hear a knock on the door. You know, my door is always open, but they always knock anyway. And it was a guy named Jimmy and Jimmy says, Kevin, I'm, I was told I can talk to you about something. I've got something I'd like to talk to you about. And Jimmy hadn't been working for us for two weeks or so. So I didn't know him very well, but the guys in the shop had told him that he could come and talk to me. So I said, not now, Jimmy, can't you see I got a job? I'm bidding. I'll come find you later. So I kept typing on the bed, typing on the bed, got the bed out, answered several phone calls. And about then, about 4.30 was when the guys would go home. And I'm like, oh, shoot, I forgot to go. So I went out and I asked the foreman, where's Jimmy? And he said, didn't you talk to him? I said, no, I was busy getting a bit out. He said, he came back from talking to you, I thought, packed up his tools and left. Do you think he's going to come back tomorrow? He said, I told him to call me in the morning. So let's see if he calls in the morning. So I thought about it that night and I had this very uneasy feeling, but the next morning I went straight into the shop foreman's office and I said, has Jimmy called in yet? And he, and the shop foreman went, you didn't hear, did you? No, what's happened? Jimmy wrapped his car around a tree last night. Kevin, he died. Kevin, why didn't you talk to him? Why didn't you talk to him? I just went into my office and I just fell on the floor and apologized to God profusely. I don't know what Jimmy wanted to talk about, but I'm sure it had something to do with God wanting me to talk to him. But I was too busy working on that bid. And it also hit me later when I found out I didn't get that bid. Smack me to the ground twice. God said, it's not about the job. I'll handle the work. I'll handle the income. You handle the people that I put in front of you. I heard that loud and, and clear that day. And that's the challenge that people are faced minute by minute, day by day in their work settings. And so let's kind of move into this conversation about what is going on with the, what the Bible says and what people perceive is going on in their work. Because you and I know, Kevin, that what many people do is they just separate those things out. Even people that will profess and say, I'm a Christian or I'm a follower of Christ or I've got a faith or I'm leaning that way, whatever, whatever their status is, they will often use words like curse or something to like that when they talk about their work. And so I guess let's kind of start big picture before we go into talking a little bit more about some of the things you do with your seminars and things like that. But what do you see as being some of the biggest challenges when we start talking about work 
and people that are attempting to live their life, we'll say it that way, attempting to live their life by some degree of faith. What's some of the big issues, big challenges that they deal with? Probably the separation, the separation between Sunday and Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. The world says it, it goes all the way back to the days of Plato, that there is things that are spiritual, things that are godly or good, things that are for and whatever, those, those can be bad. There's a separation between the spiritual and the secular. There's this gap in there. And people have kept that going for all these years to the point where a lot of corporations are like, yeah, that's fine that you go to church on Sunday, but don't you bring that here to work. Don't you talk anything about that at break time? Or don't you bring that into our schools? <laughs> that's fine. You can do that on Sunday. But they try and keep that separation. I'm sure the enemy, Satan, keeps that separation in people's mind because godly things, the way that the Bible says is the spiritual and the work, <laughs> the spiritual in our life go together like this and make a strong and enjoyable work experience. There is no wall of separation. There is no separation between the, no chasm, nothing. They have to be together for things to work. And once we realize that, and also, there is a lot of fake rules out there, fake laws. You can't bring out here to work. You can't say that in our school. No, that's made up, made up by Satan. You have the ability to do that. Yeah, we don't want to be Bible thumpers. Maybe we can lead a Bible study at break. That would be cool. But if we just work in a way that the way the Bible says, being Christ's representative here, and that would mean being the best that we can at our job and have a great attitude, great work ethic, show up on time, work hard, have a joy about us that the Bible says we're to have, and have this peace about us where things don't rattle us. If we can just have that type of aura about us or whatever you will, then maybe people will come to us and say, there's something different about you. Why is that? Then as first Peter says, have a ready answer when they ask it, because they asked you, it was on their terms. Then you can tell them, then you can share the gospel if the appropriate. We do, like you were saying at the beginning that we do really segment out our lives. And what's interesting about it is if you go to scripture and read about the Hebrews, the actual uh, nation of Israel, they, they integrated every portion of their life. I think that confuses us at times when we read that in our modern culture, because we you mentioned Plato, the Greco-Roman structure is you segment everything. You've got your marriage, you've got your relationships, you've got your even now hobbies and different things like that. And like you said, Sunday and Monday is totally separated out. And I've shared this before. I was saved in a business setting, so I've never really separated out my business from my faith. I wasn't actually saved in a church setting, which in some ways is interesting. In some ways, I think it's help, helpful for me because I don't ever bring these out, but our culture says it's different. But then I also want to bring this up. You mentioned it just in this last segment you were talking about. Mm -hmm. I think some people have perceived barriers about what they can say and not say. In other words, they build it up in their minds that they can't pray with someone at work or say something, because like you said, there, there is a, there is this thought of separation, but I don't see that 
maybe again, it's my mindset, but I don't see it as much as a lot of people say it's there. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I don't think it's there as much either, but we are ingrained with that. We just have that in our mind anyway. Oh, you can't bring that here. You can't talk about Christ here. You can't. We don't necessarily have to. We just live the way the Bible says and people will come to us because what we have is things that the world is after. They want grace. They want peace. They want to know that things are going to work out okay. They want to know that there is something that happens after this life. They want that joy. And we have all of those. We have what they want. If we just show that in, our, in, in how we act and talk and how we work, they'll come to us and ask us about that. Yeah, we're in a world that there's just this real void of hope. And all the polls and the statistics show that people that are in work environment, you know, we can go back to the time of COVID. People were able to work from home. They enjoyed that for a period of while and a period of time. And then they realized maybe they didn't even like the type of work they were doing. And they recognized that. And I think it was, there was a real sense. And we know this in culture, there is a hopelessness that's out there. And, and, I, and I know one of the things that both you and I want to do is encourage people. It's like, we are beacons of hope and we carry that with us. And one of the things I love about what you're doing is you're encouraging people to carry that into their work environment and the work that they yeah. go into. So yeah. at what point did you move to a place that, I don't know if it was before or after you exited your company, but at what point did you start putting this into maybe a teachable, I, I will, I will say this from being around you, you are a, you're a doer and a worker, but you've got the teacher gene in you. My guess is when you learn something, you almost automatically start gravitating towards wanting to learn it, master it, and then teach it. Is that correct? Teach it. Exactly. Yeah. I even read scripture in the morning and I'm like, oh, that's really cool. Can I get three points from this and use it in a podcast? <laughs> and I think that goes back to, let me tell a little bit more of a story, which is really cool. It's certainly relevant. I had been teaching, teaching Bible studies in a home setting, you know, on Thursday nights for 30 years or more. I had taught adult Sunday school at church. I, I love to teach and I love to, to write books and do the podcasts and stuff, but I was really getting burnt out at work. And we had a guy come to our church that did a seminar. His name's Gary Crum, and he's from Agora Consulting. And he came and did a seminar about how to make your job, your ministry for Christ. And I just, I loved that so much that I did, wanted to do that. So he came, he wanted to come and see my shop and stuff. So he came and he said, how's work going? Fine. No, how's work going? Because I can see a little different in the way you are. Well, yeah, it's tough. I mean, this was in about 2013 or so after taking it company through that 2008 to 2012 or so downturn. I had dark brown hair until those days. Boy, it was brutal. And I got burnt out and I wanted out, but I didn't know how. I felt, I felt like I was trapped in that job, trapped there. The only way out was to work harder to stay later and bid more jobs to keep getting more in. And I told him that I said, I feel trapped. I feel like I can't get out of here and I'm getting burned out and I'm getting scared because I don't know what else to do. I feel 
trapped. And that has a certain amount of fear in it and frustration, certainly. So he looked at me and wonderful Christian guy, great insight. He looked at me and he said, Kevin, what could you do if money was no object and you weren't doing this? What would you do? And I said, well, I would write books. I would do podcasts. I would travel around the country and give pastors a break. And I would teach and do seminars. I would, would, I would love to do that. But I can't. As I went like, look at this. I got 35 families that rely on me to, get, to keep them employed. And he looked at me. And he got real serious and looked at me right in the eyes. And he said, Kevin, how big is your God? And I knew that was a double entendre. I knew he was saying, is this work your God? Because you're relating everything to that. And do you think God is big enough? Do you think God is big enough to make that happen if you want that really bad? And if that's how he has formed you and molded you to be able to pass this on? That started the process of selling the company to be able to do what I'm doing today, to do these five things, was him saying, Kevin, how big is your God? What's really right. cool right. about really it, Kevin, right. is that right. you had a spiritual walk. You were advanced. You were not immature, as you mentioned, Paul talking about earlier, but you still needed someone else to come in and speak that to you. Isn't I that think that something? shows the power of how we need other people and we need people to speak into our lives and be around and things like that. So I, I think that's very powerful. And I, as you were listing it out, I'm sitting here going, that's the lifestyle you lead now. Those are you and your wife, money, y'all travel, y'all bump into people <laughs> like us. Yeah. And really he's bigger than even we can imagine because you probably laid out some of the things you're doing now, but you probably didn't lay out everything that you're doing now, did you? And one of those is the RV technician thing. I had been working on RVs for 30 years. I would buy them and I'd flip them. I would buy one almost every year, fix it up and sell it. For 30 years, that was my little hobby, you know? And suddenly we were here in this RV park and my wife and I were supposed to go, you know, she works full time. She gets off at about four and we had an hour and a half of daylight left to go for a hike in Zion National Park. And she couldn't find me because I was out working on an RV. Somebody had their water heater door open, scratching their head. So I walked out there and it's like, oh, I think I can fix this. So I fixed it for them and we missed our hike. And when I came back in, I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. And she said, there's a glow about you. You love to work on RVs, don't you? I said, yeah, I love to help people. And she said, why don't we think about sending you to RV tech school. And I said, okay. She says, because if you're going to be doing that, you need to make some money at it. Right. <laughs> and you need to do it right. So I said, okay, I've already got an LLC. We'll use that. I need to get certified and I need to get insurance. So off we went to Texas to school to learn that. That just kind of fell in my lap. Thanks to the Lord and a wonderful wife who saw something in me and saw something that made me happy. And that's the big plus that most people are afraid or don't think will happen is when you're really doing things that God has wired you to do, the joy just comes out of you. It just shows up. 
And that's what she saw when I came back from working on that RV. And now it's like every time she comes in or I come back into the RV and oh, and I may have cuts in my hands and dirt on my face. And she says, do you have fun? <laughs> do you have to ask? <laughs> I loved it. I, and I tell her, and there are times she's visiting our daughter in Hawaii right now. And she calls and said, how was your day? And I tell her all these RV things I fixed. Yeah, I had a tough one with Tim yesterday. It was pretty rough. I had to lay underneath the RV for about an hour and a half. It's all fun, especially because, and I can tell you this, and this is an amazing thing that I've learned more and more. I won't get into too much about how prayer changed my life, but I realized that when I asked God specific requests, he would answer specifically. Specific prayers get answered specifically. And when I thank him then, then he keeps doing that more and more. God answers specific prayer specifically because he gets the glory, he gets the praise, and I love to do that to him and he loves to get it. So even when I'm working on RVs, like yesterday, the hardest part of doing our job was getting those, the hot and cold water fittings to thread in correctly with one hand that I could barely get in there and fit it. And I was praying, God, help me thread that. Could you push that in to hold it into place while I thread this? Could we do it? And it went in flawlessly and didn't cross thread. It went in and I got it tight. Thank you, Lord. He loves to work with us. He created work as a blessing. The Bible tells us in Genesis that work is a blessing. And when we can work in a way that we're working with him and asking for help and he helps us, this is what goes on, right? The spiritual things and the world work things are like this. And that's part of the fun. That's part of the joy that's on my face when I come back to see my wife at the end of the day. I worked with God on something. So we have hot water and the hot water heater is not going to fall off the side of the RV. Kevin, one thing that... One thing that I've observed and always been impressed by you is that I know you have worked in a lot of situations. You got a lot of certifications. You are a, like you've mentioned, a blue jeans. You are a hands-on. It's interesting though, in, in today's world, the blue jeans brand has like worked its way even into the boardroom because it, it, there are people wearing blue jeans everywhere. I think when you now started the in the more, church, yeah, I know. Yeah. They might be more skinny jeans, which. We don't want to talk about that. That's a whole nother topic. Okay. But, but you have always, to me, I've been so impressed by, I know you've had your own company and you've done a ton of things. You've stood in pulpits and taught and preached and all that, but yet there does not seem to be, and this is related to the work and it's part of a question I'm posing here. There doesn't seem to be any pride or ego in the fact that At one point, you sat in a corner office, and then I'll give specifically yesterday, you were laying in the muck underneath an RV, attempting to do, we were threading a needle. Literally, we were threading a needle yesterday. Talk a little bit about that pride and ego that we need to have as followers of Christ, especially as it relates to our work. When you realize that we are wonderfully and uniquely made by God. And we are put here, as Isaiah 43, 7 says, you have been created for my glory. That's why we're here. 
to glorify God, to bring glory to him. And then Paul, then in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, like I mentioned earlier, he says, do all things in a way that brings glory to God. And 2 Corinthians 5, 9 says that we should make it our aim to be well-pleasing to Jesus. That's our aim, right? Like, that's what we're aiming at, is to be well-pleasing to Jesus. It doesn't say only if you're in the boardroom, only if you're at a desk. It may mean if you're crawling underneath and up into an RV to fix something. Make it your aim to be well-pleasing to Jesus. So I'm doing these things intentionally as a way of glorifying him. Because he made me to be able to do those things. He provided the tools and the ability and to be able to do these things with one arm inside there, with his help, of course. And I think he loves all of that. He loves to see us using how he made us. Just like if we made some special toy for a kid and we see that kid go out and play for hours with that thing that we made, the joy that it brings us, the joy it must bring God to. I think the other thing that messes with people when they talk about work, I think you briefly mentioned it earlier, and that's the whole money piece. People get caught up with, number one, they feel like they, they need money, which they do. And which reminds me, by the way, I think you need to make sure you bill me for yesterday. We need to transact on that. I don't think you've invoiced me yet. And I know you will. And I appreciate that. Talk briefly about how sometimes money can mess people up or when we start talking about this work thing. Uh, money isn't evil. It's what we think of it. You know, money is the root of all evil. It's, what, it's where we put it on our pedestal. Is that way up there or is it down there? I realized a long time ago that I wasn't going to quit a job to because another one offered a little bit more. I did that right out of, right out of college. I quit one good job because another place offered me like a dollar an hour more or something. And I felt horrible about that because those folks that I was working for put a lot into me and expected a lot from me. And I just show up and said, hey, I'm leaving because I got a little bit more offer over here. And I also did that in a way of maybe saying, could you give me a raise? If you give me a raise, I'll stay. I didn't say that, but that was in my mind. And then after that, I think God probably put that in me that's like, you know, I'll take care of that. You just do what I want you to do. I'll take care of the funds. And he does, because I don't put that as my God, right? I don't put that. There, I, there's been times when I have done things, I've done this because it pays more than that. But I don't really anymore because it's the people that God has put in front of me that I'm trying to help. And if I get paid for it, great. Let God handle that. And he does. I have more in our bank account now working 25 hours a week just because he takes care of that. I, we have never had a want for anything. That's the last verses of Matthew 6 where he says, if you seek first my kingdom, all these things that you need, I'll add it to you. Add it to you, he says. Keeps building and building. Seek first his kingdom, being his representative here. Give people a taste of heaven here. And I do that because when we think of what heaven's going to be like, people love each other. They're going to work hard. And yes, we will be working in heaven. They work hard. They pay their bills on time. They're not 
enthralled with money, they're enthralled with serving Christ and being his representative. If we give people a taste of that here, being gracious and loving and kind and pay our bills on time and a joy to be around and not get rattled over what political thing has happened, the water cooler talk to us is more joyous. And if it's bad or head south, we walk away. If we are like that, he will make sure that we get everything that we need. He promises that, and he has proved that promise to me. But Kevin, one of the things that you've done is you've put together a seminar, and I'm looking at some of the information on it, and this should get people's attention. Improve your job and your retirement. And basically, it's to me, I worded it, it's marrying your faith with your work world. And so with in, in just a few minutes here, maybe can you cover just really quickly those five areas that you're looking at here. I'm looking at it, but I'd love for you to share it because I think this is important. I think it's one of the things that can bring value to people listening in. And then if people want to get more info later, we'll tell them where they can connect with you to find out more about that. Hit the high points if you could. I've heard often from Christians, I can't wait till this job ends so I could do something that really matters to God. And we spend somewhere in the neighborhood of 90,000 hours of our life in a job working. What if that was the place that really mattered to him, where we spend the majority of our time? So I developed the seminar. It's a five-hour seminar, so there's five one-hour sessions. And the first session is called The Foundation of Work, and where we prove biblically that work is a blessing from God. He created us to work, and he expects us to work, and gives us the foundations to do that. And then And I give 12 scripture references of how work is a benefit to us. And then the second one is how to work biblically. We mostly look at Ephesians 5, 6 through 9, a word at a time, where Paul succinctly in one paragraph tells us employees how to work. So we do that. And then we do that in such a way that it's this little sheet that people can take, remind them how to act in these different things, different ways. Then we change the work focus from making money to serving Christ. So we talk about that, including how to retire biblically, because most of us are working to be able to retire. So we're saving all that we can. We have this 401k. We have all this money saved away so we can do nothing. That's awful self-serving. That's not Christ-serving. But what if we change our focus to, yes, go ahead and do that, but then just turn the chapter and do a different chapter in our life and do something that uses all that he's built into us throughout the years to be able to serve him and do something in more fun type of thing. The next is figuring out what your mission is. God has a mission for all of us, and sometimes it changes over the years, but figuring out what that, mes- what that mission is, and then we end with the three things that must be in place for you to know that what you're doing or this business endeavor idea you have in mind is what God wants you to do. It's God's purpose. So we end with that. And it's, that's a fantastic thing because the light kicks on. And I've done this at college, Christian colleges. I've done it at churches. And always people stay afterwards and just have this excitement about them. I can't wait to go to work on Monday. I can't wait to go to work on Monday. Or I can't wait to do this thing that I've had in my mind for years because I think all three of those things line up. I think God's in it now. I know God's in it now. 
So that's a five-hour seminar that we do at churches. It's usually two hours on a Friday night and then three hours on a Saturday morning. We're done by 11 a.m. so they can still have their weekend. <laughs> thing about that that's interesting, I saw this when I was at Bible school for a few years. And I was mature. I was about to say I was old. It was I was in my mid-50s. There were a lot of people that were younger. There were some people that were older than me. And the thing that permeates that environment was a little bit discouraging to me because it's a little bit of, I don't want to say the opposite of what you're talking about, but it, it was basically this, people had this thought that the only way or the ultimate way or the best way or the only thing that God really has for me is to be in a full-time ministry role. And what I love about this, first of all, you going into churches and other places like that to share this message. But you're telling people it's almost, no, we need marketplace people. We need people that are out doing work. We, first of all, can't all go into full-time ministry, nor should we. But I love the way you've combined it in your life where you still go in and you help pastors and relieve them on top of the work situation. Talk briefly about what you're doing with pastors and just briefly the state uh, we don't want, we're not going to say all pastors are stressed out and things like that. That's not the case, but that's a tough gig right now. And you're coming in and pinch hitting for them, which I think is a pretty valuable service. Say a couple things about that. Yeah. See, I believe most pastors are extremely lonely and especially those that are shepherding a smaller flock because they may have hundreds of superficial friends, but they don't have anybody to confide with. Hopefully their spouse, but rarely do they have anyone that will like just sit down and chat with them. And you see, pastors are humans. They're not superhumans. They may have a better grasp of scripture than we do, but they still have the same life struggles that we do. They have family crisis issues come up. They have kids that go AWOL or die and they get probably burned out sooner than the rest of us because we all assume that they have thick skin. They can handle death and perform funeral services. They can handle extremely rough marital counseling sessions. Um, they can handle people that are depressed and have suicidal issues and addictions and just this terrible sinful past, but then have to show up on Sunday with a polished sermon with PowerPoint and a smile. That's got to be tough. That's got to be tough to keep doing that every week. And I know I've heard from some pastors saying, I'm just scared that my sermon this Sunday won't be as good as last Sunday and the people are going to leave. They need some time off then, right? So I try and give them a time off. They need to have a couple weeks off like we all do, but a lot of times they don't get it. They can't unplug. They can't get away unless they have somebody that they can trust to come in and fill in for them for two weeks to six weeks is what I normally do. Give them some time off, rejuvenate, connect with their family again, maybe come up with some plans for the next sermon series. Just give them some time off. And I just love doing that because you can see from when I show up what they're like to when I'm done and they come back, they're a new person again. Love doing that. Love doing that. And I'm sure they appreciate it too. I think it's good for both the pastor, the pastor's family, probably the staff, 
as well as the congregation. I tell work stories that they can relate to. Some pastors, some not all, but some really can't relate to people that are working a nine to five job or eight to five job. Certainly maybe not ones that are in the oil fields or construction or something. So it's fun to see those guys show up to church when I'm there rather than just their wife. Hope I can say that. Yeah, Kevin, a few years ago, you wrote uh, your glorious endeavor. You brought me Mm -hmm. a copy this morning because the copy that I got a few years ago, I read it, highlighted it a little bit, and then I gifted it to someone. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a copy with me, but tell me a little bit about that. And then I've got one or two final questions and we'll be wrapping up here shortly, but your glorious endeavor, how to glorify God, be well-pleasing to him and worship him acceptably. That sounds like an encyclopedia volume, not a book. Yeah, it's basically Christianity 101 because it came from a question that I had since I was a little kid. We've been told in church that we are supposed to glorify God. How do we do that? And I asked pastors and I'd always get some kind of, I wouldn't say lame answer, but an answer that wasn't like specifically things that we can do. It was more like, if you be obedient to him and love others. No, I want to know, is there something that we can do to bring glory to God? Because I know there's things that we can do that don't bring glory to God. So there must be things that we can do. And we don't do these things to be saved. Christ took care of all that on the cross, but we do them in a way as thanking him for what he did do on the cross for us. So I came up with about 38 things that we can do from scripture, studying scripture, What can we do to bring glory to God by searching the word glorify and glory? And are there specific things? And I whittled it down to 16 specific things that we can do to glorify God. If you look at the picture on that cover, there is all of those little things are in the root and the trunk of the tree. But I sat back after getting that done and thought, you know what? This is how to worship God. Doing these things is the definition of worship. So that's why those things are in the root in the trunk, but the branches, the fruit is the W-O-R-S-H-I-P. That's the fruit of doing those things. So you want to know how to worship God? There are 16 specific things you can do. And that's what's in the book. It's those 16 things. And each of them is really good things to know of how to grow and mature as a Christian. Prayer is one of them. How to grow your faith is one of them. How to trust God. Sometimes we we know we should trust God, but boy, this thing coming down the road is pretty scary. Can I trust God? Yes, you can. And I tell about how to do that in there. 16 specific things of how to glorify God. One of the things that I really loved, I pulled out, I think this is bookmark slash, I don't want to say cheat sheet. It doesn't sound right to, for the book titled Your Glorious Endeavor to have a cheat sheet, but You've got them listed out here with scripture and little points to them, prayer, faith and hope, love, integrity, skillful, acknowledge, obedience, all of those. I really like that. I think that's a great learning tool for people though. So Kevin, there's so many things you do. You have such a rich background. I think what I'd love to do at this point is for you to just let people know how they could connect with you, get some resources if they want to find you for seminars, if they want to get your book, guess if they want RV repair. Whatever. What do you, where do you want people to go to connect with you? And then I've got one more question before we wrap up. Okay. So I've got two websites. One of them is bluejeanschristian.com. 
So most of what we talk about today can be found there, including the seminar and filling in for pastors or being a special speaker at a church. And remember, I'm in an RV, so I travel around and do that. <laughs> and so that's at bluejeanschristian.com, and you can connect with me through there. And then the other is bjc-rv.com. Well, that's the RV-related things. And that has where I'm at and where I'm going to be on that website too. So if somebody's like, oh, he's going to be at the same RV park I'm going to be at, I'll have him do some work. I've got that built in on my speed dial or my built-in text or reach out to Kevin <laughs> when we're, in fact, I'm sure he was excited. I said, hey, are you going to be down in Southern Utah? Yeah, we were texting. And it's like, oh, I'll look forward to seeing you. And I said, hey, by the way, I've got some work that needs to be done. Work is a blessing from God. When we get to know each other even better while we're working together in an RV. Yeah, yesterday, yesterday was an example of that. So, Kevin, we are seek, go create those three words. I know with your uh, study and all that you've done, you know where those words come from. But I'm going to let you choose one word over the other two just as a fun little thing to wrap up here. Seek, go, or create. Which one do you choose and why? I think those are sequential. And I think they're also, and then where you are in each of those is an indication of where you are in your spiritual journey. I just love go because that's what Jesus said. One of the last words he said when he went to heaven to wait for us is go, just go. So I think that's probably my word, you know, seek God's will for your life. And once you know it, and yes, you can know it, then go do it and be creative the way that God has designed you and wired you to be able to be creative for his glory. I am going to really encourage people to jump over and listen to Blue Jeans Christian, the podcast. While they're in their podcast player right now, jump over and listen to that and subscribe. I listened to a couple episodes this morning, in fact, just preparing for this. And so go listen to that. Check out his book, his website, and book him for seminars. If you're a pastor, to reach out to him to come in and just give you some relief. So thank you, Kevin, for all that you do. I appreciate it. For those that are listening in, we are Seek, Go, Create. We have new episodes every Monday here. Until next time, continue being all that you were created to be.